Welcome, welcome, welcome to On Democracy with F.P. Wellman. I am Fred Wellman. So great to have you here on the Myers Touch Network and wherever you're getting your podcast. So, man, so much happening in the world this week. It's been awesome and and scary, too. George Santos has uh, been arrested, I guess. Uh, you know, Donald J. Trump uh, was found liable with uh, E. Jean Carroll. It's just a lot to talk about. But, you know, the week started with a poll from the Washington Post and ABC of U.S. adults giving Trump 36% to Biden's 32% with a huge swath of soft answers in between if people were leaning either way. Of course, the left, God bless us, went into panic mode uh, as the media twisted it all very effectively. But a most important to note, look, this is not, I actually talked to hey, former guest John Delvolpe, who's right here in our books stack. Uh, that was a poll of all U.S. adults, not likely voters, not registered voters, all adults, when you use an all adults one, oftentimes Trump does better. It's just the way it is. Let's not all freak out. <laughs> but it is interesting. And, and, and how do those numbers change in light of the E. Jean Carroll jury decision? How do they change in light of all the other criminal behavior? How does it change? We've got a, a presidential nominee with just now only 34 felonies against him and probably more coming. So there's a lot to do. And we've got a whopping year and a half between now and then. But I got a great guest. As always, my timing is always impeccable. I get the people who have, the, who have some great perspective on these things. So let's just not waste any more of your time. Let's get right to the show. Let's get at it. As I mentioned, welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Fred Wellman, your host of On Demars, F.P. Wellman. As we shoot this episode, we're hearing that an incredible 13 felony charges are against our friend George Anthony DeVolder Santos, a uh, serial fabulist, a member of Congress in good standing. Uh, at the same time, the repercussions of the E. Jean Carroll verdict are kind of starting to spin it. The GOP is spinning it already. But I'm blessed with the good timing, as I mentioned at the top. Uh, my guest today has been one of my favorite friendly people to disagree with for many years. I have unfollowed him and followed him many times as he knows. And, uh, and so I'm thrilled to have Tom Nichols. Welcome to the show. Tom is often everyone's favorite internet rogue and foil is a never Trumper, but still a very conservative political voice with very strong opinions on music and Jeopardy <laughs> as well. I often, Tom, I have to tell this before I go to further with your bio. I was telling a friend of mine the other day that you're like the Leroy Jenkins of pundits. <laughs> it's like you go all in. <laughs> Leroy Jenkins, you know. <laughs> you know? I'll say thank you, I think. There you go. You're just you're, you're aggressively in power. He's a staffer at The Atlantic, author of The Atlantic Daily Newsletter. He's a professor of emeritus at National Security Affairs at U.S. Naval War College, where he taught for 25 years as an instructor at the Harvard Extension School. You know, he writes about a lot of important nets at Russia, of course, our democracy. Uh, he has most recent book, which is on my desk at home, damn it, but behind Tom on screen. <laughs> of course, he's famous for the death of expertise. His most recent book is Our Own Worst Enemy, The Assault from Within on Modern Democracy. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. Uh, that's why it's on my desk at home instead of here. He is also also, most importantly, a five-time undefeated Jeopardy champion, which explains <laughs> a lot of his Twitter feed. Tom, welcome to the show, man. It's so great to have you here, man. Thanks, Fred. Uh, good to see you. It's been a while. Of course, we were both senior advisors of the Lincoln Project during the, general, the 2020 campaign, so we, bumped, we talked about that quite a bit. Um, you know, I, um, I invited you because we disagreed on a topic, uh, <laughs> you know, and in a fit of frustration, I invited you. This is where we are, but, you know, it's good to hear. But, you know, I, I don't, putting all that aside, it's been a wild week, right, brother? I mean, I know you're, you've been writing for The Atlantic. You do the Daily Newsletter. Um, you know, Donald Trump's been filo, found liable for sexual abuse and defamation against E. Jean Carroll. George Santos has been charged with federal crime. Let's start with Trump. I mean, I, I've said what I, I think it does hurt him in general. I, I'm actually this optimist person who says, and I've written, and I'm, I think I'm going to write another piece today for Substack, that 
this this will damage him. Now I know we're all used to Teflon Don, but I love to. What's your what's your take on this? I mean, is there going to be fallout? I mean, you've been watching the, this the, the what is left of the Republican Party for a long time. It's not going to hurt him with the base. No. I mean, they they've been prepping themselves. They've been sort of stealing themselves for this moment, coming up with all of the excuses about yeah. a New York jury, you know, and all that stuff. But I think, you know, nothing hurts him with the base, but the base isn't as big as we think it is. I think it right. does hurt him with, um, you know, the, the ordinary human beings who are not hyper-partisan Republicans, and particularly with women. Yes. Um, you know, the 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 even experienced Trump watchers like you and me, I mean, that deposition where he sort of sat there and he said, well, for a million years, it's been okay. You know, and I thought, wow, if I were the Democrats, uh, you know, I, I, it's Clip. like that talk about, you can't even pay him. Clip. <laughs> right. Publicity because he's just so um, dreadful. The only thing I really regret about this trial um, is that they, they, he didn't take the stand right. because that would have been, I think it was Harry Lippman who said it would have been a bloodbath yep. of a cross-examination because he's just incapable of ever admitting that he's ever done anything wrong ever right. in his life. Right. Um, and you know, the only difference probably would have been a, you know, probably a higher settlement, but I think, um, I think it does, hurt. it doesn't hurt him with the base, but I think it does hurt him with just about everybody else in the world who has a normal ability to cringe and feel shame watching somebody, you know, engage in that kind of ghastly performance on well, film. That's it. I call them the normies. I, there are normies. I mean, yeah, you know, there, are, I mean there are normies I, left in the party. The normies, the people, the normals who don't are, are not either completely captured by a party right. um, or who are like you and I, we're not part of the normies I and mean, we're political right. junkies. You know, we, we follow this stuff all day long, but I think, you know, the, the, the average mom, right. You know, the, the person out there who a dad who has daughters, especially, I think, you know, people who have families and just live their lives. Um, I think they're going to be, you know, I think it does, it does hurt him. There's no way around it. He it has been found liable for sexually assaulting a woman and she's going to collect a lot of money. And what's interesting too, I think Tom is I was actually talking to a good friend of mine who's a woman about her age and she grew up in the business world and, you know, in the eighties and nineties too. And the things that occurred in the business world that were okay then, let's be honest, it was a different time. And, 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 you know, sexual harassment, you know, you know, hitting on girls. I mean, it was a thing as a young, especially as a young woman in a legal office, right? It was like a thing, right? You knew the partner not to go in the copy room with, right? We, and we, we, we look at a gas at that now, especially since the Me Too movement. Even I look at myself, what I did back then. I mean, honestly, it's not, I can't fool you, right? But if you think about E. Jean Carroll, she is a woman of age. She's an older woman. She grew up in that time. The people that voted for Trump and those normies that we just talked about, a lot of them are her age. It's, it, this isn't a 24-year-old woman, right? This is a woman of a certain age. And, and a lot of the women who will look at her, and, and the thing that I think the GOPs fail to understand is they look at E. Jean Carroll, a lot of these women, and see themselves. See themselves, yeah. And I that think, is very um, different. You know, your point about age is really important. I, I wrote something a while back where I was talking about my own, um, I was talking about fathers and manhood. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think of myself in my twenties and I think the phrase I used about myself was shallow CAD. <laughs> um, you know, that there were things that 40 years ago, um, you know, I mean, it was a different world, yeah. but now yeah. that we're all older, we know how wrong it is. Maybe, right. maybe in some sense with even more, um, 
um, what's the word I'm looking for, that even more powerfully, you know, having lived through that revolution from the 70s yeah. when I was a teenager. Right. Um, I mean, I look at ads from the 70s and the 80s that I didn't blink at as a kid. And I look now and I say, oh, my God. Right. You know, how was that okay? Right. And I think in some sense that perspective may make you even more sympathetic to E. Jean Carroll rather than less because you know what the the road she's traveled since then. Right. If that makes any sense. It does. You know, if you remember during the campaign, I don't know if you ever heard much about it uh, as your role as a senior advisor, but, you know, our pillars of the Lincoln Project were four things, right? It was women. It was evangelicals. It was Latinos. And, of course, the one I ran military and veteran and service member families. We decide those are our four main pillars to peel away from the Republican uh, uh, coalition uh, to lower his voting, uh, the people who had voted for him in 2016. I'm sorry, there's four groups. None of these four groups are big fans of sexual abuse of women, right? Mm. And so I do think that if a lot of us on the left especially love to just, we, the sky's always falling. <laughs> it's a big, you know, you know, but I think it's hard to, it's hard to ignore the fact that the people I think of, I was talking about my, my individual, individual focus groups, like my kids or my, my girlfriend's parents, right? Uh, you know, they're in their eighties, they're lifelong Republicans, but I'm telling you, they're not digging the idea of voting for a guy who's now been found by a jury unanimously to be a sexual abuser and have convicted and done these. So I think well, and that's, that's why I think, but I, I, I think that the, um, uh, that your point about Trump voters being, you know, my age or your age, or Jean yeah. Carroll's age, that in some sense, having that longer perspective, um, in some ways, I think may, it, it, it almost, um, makes it more real because yeah. it's not, some it's not some pretty young actress saying this this old man hit on me right i mean this is a this is somebody saying look back during a time that you know you thought people you know some of you watching in this audience might have thought this was okay it's not okay yep. um in a way that i think we're her age and i this is purely impressionistic and yep. you kind of put it into my head by raising the issue of age but i wonder if you're not right about this that in yep. some ways that more than a, a younger person or a more recent thing that this is going to resonate with people who, you know, can right. remember a time, by the way, when Donald Trump, um, you know, when Donald Trump would have been flushed out of politics. Right. I mean, the thing I was trying to get at earlier is even though 30 years ago, as you pointed out, you know, which law firm, you know, which, which closet not to go near and all of yeah. that. Um, there was still some sense of public shame about these things. I mean, right. Trump tried to turn that to his advantage. Right. Gary and Hart. to say, everybody does it. You know, everybody does it. I, I, I don't think that worked. Um, and I, and I think it won't work particularly people of a certain age, but I'm going to say again, Fred, I think his base is completely immunized against this. Oh, I agree hundred percent. I really do. There that 30% or less is, and, and that those are the people who vote, in Republican primaries, let's be honest, it's the it's the hyper partisans, the one who are do or die. And by the way, what's really unnerving is they're not people who are going to vote for another Republican necessarily either, by the way, that his hardcore base of, of Trump passionate, uh, the MAGA base is is not going to blink an eye about this. But it is, if nothing else, funny as hell to watch them try and spin it. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, Kevin McCarthy seems to have missed the news. You know? I, was, well, I decided to switch over to Fox. Oh, bold move, my friend. Pure Schadenfreude, <laughs> and um, Fox's. I think it was Jesse Waters at seven was talking about. You know the big story we're covering today: who killed JFK? <laughs> I was like, wow, that 
That is a, I mean, you know, like <laughs> you can almost see like a JFK conspiracy book on the wall under a, a, in a case that says, in case of Trump scandal, break glass. You know, like it's oh, like the most God. emergency go to. It's got to be a you know, caravan. Or wave, don't look over here. I, mean, I, was, I couldn't stop watching. I was like, <laughs> this is one of the biggest news days in American oh, history. You know, an God. American president right. has been found liable right. by a jury and you know and it's like and now it's like well you know i think you know the cia probably hired oswald's like oh yes Oof, that was the burning issue atop of everybody's minds but it, but i think you know I'll, I'll now backtrack and and maybe agree with you more than i a little more what uh, is to say if fox is panicking that badly right maybe it really dent at least some of the people um, in the base, I have just become very cynical about the ability to to de- to, to get through yeah. to anybody in that in that MAGA base. You know their audience. I suppose though, that they, level of panic. Yeah, where you're talking about hey. JFK. Tom, um, they know their audience. You know, Tom. You know um, they you know they know their part audience. of. And let us something I'm we'll probably get to at some point, but um, that's also part of Fox now pushing uh, RFK thinking right. RFK Jr. thinking that they're going to kind of dent Biden with that somehow. Because they did do a clip of Bobby Kennedy Jr. talking about the CIA killing his uncle and all that stuff. But it was pretty fun. I mean, you're right. It was watching them try to spin it was, um, you know, kind of cringy, but must see TV. I said, and, and, you know, my girlfriend, I have a joke that whenever we say something we want to you know change the topic we're always like oh look baby wolf you know oh <laughs> and that's that's what they're doing it's squirrel. like they, yeah, oh my god squirrel it's like you know squirrels approaching the border squirrel and then that's what it is well the next school of course is george santos who's probably the most bizarre creature i've ever seen in public office i mean let's be honest it, it is um so now he's been indicted kevin mccarthy somehow has missed the news <laughs> it's amazing how they all miss the news every day uh, <laughs> um you know again but i santos is not it's funny we keep talking about what a weirdo george santos is and how he's so strange american politics but you know over the course of i don't know 35 40 years of talking to people ever we've all run into a george santos the guy who says i could be elected congress and i've done this and i was you know a war hero and i was a a fundraiser who you know solved hunger the difference was that there used to be mechanisms that made sure people like that never even got into a, nobody would give anybody like that money. Right. You know, I mean, I, I have talked to probably since my, my first job in, in politics was 40 years ago when I worked in a state house for a couple of years. Um, you know, and I've talked to people that are no hoper political candidates. What's really striking is particularly in the Republican party, no hopers, can get elected purely on negative partisanship, on right. not being Democrats. Right. And that's what happened with Santos. And the Republicans, the, the institutional Republican Party has no idea how to handle this. Yep. So the Justice Department has now handled it for them. And even here, it's amazing. Instead of simply saying, okay, the guy's been indicted. He's clearly in bad. He's bad news. You've got Kevin McCarthy saying, um, we're going to look into it. <laughs> Like, you know, okay, everyone's well, innocent until proven guilty, even with 13 wow. provable federal felonies against him. You know, it's like, yeah, the desperation. Well, let it, let's say, let us point out he is innocent until proven guilty. Absolutely. But, you know, no, combined with his record, these indictments combined with his completely bizarre record, you know, as a campaigner, as a member of Congress, which you much of his McCarthy would say more than right. Ella, 
gonna gonna look at it. You know, gonna looking into it. He sounds like Elon Musk, right? Ch- oh, concerning. Odd. Into it. Odd. Yeah, and, and odd. that's yes, odd. Odd. <laughs> Odd. Uh, well, he's a desperate man. He's got he's got a five margin, right? Let's face it. He's de- he's barely the speaker. He's one vote away from being kicked out. Literally one single vote. Um, and and again, it just shows how desperate he wants to cling on to power. And, and frankly, what, what's become the party, right? I mean, it's it's the kooks and the cranks are the are the the voices of the party now, right? And they and they have the power in that party, and they they let him have it. They're the uh, they're the hinge. They're the hinge, that, right? That everything turns on for yep. him. Yep. Well, I'd like to talk about another crank, and and you were you and I were tweeting about. I think you talk, you know I've, I've I did a, a post for uh, the Minus Touch Network about it. Tommy Tuberville, um, you know, he's sitting on 186 flag officer promotions now. What's really bizarre, and this is the part, especially you as a national security focused guy, all your years the the, the War College, which I really or the Naval War College, I really appreciate is, you know, he's first he started off it was anti-abortion, right? But then I guess two weeks ago he added that there's too many flag officers. And then he added this week, I think he added that he doesn't like how DOD won't let white nationalists come in the military. <laughs> OK, so he's making shit up. Right. And 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 meanwhile, 186 flag officers, key positions, 7th Fleet, 5th Fleet, cyber, NATO representative while we're fighting, you know, the Ukraine fight is going on. I mean, your perspective, especially about both political and, and national security in this is really interesting to me. I think he's a nut. I did a bit um, during the general uh, campaign for the, when I was with LP again about his fake veterans nonprofit that he used to buy himself a truck with I mean, this guy's a must um how bad is this i mean at this point i mean i think people try to blow these things off if they're no big deal but does there's gonna be real impact from this at this point right tom there, there's definitely real impact for people that don't um you know understand you you get how the military works but yep. for people that don't realize what it means to say he's holding up these promotions he's not just like holding up a party for somebody to pin on a star. He's holding up the movement of senior officers from one post to another, where, you know, when they get that second star, when they go from brigadier to major general, or from, you know, rear admiral to vice admiral, um, they they are doing that. They're, they're taking that, that additional rank and then going into another job where people are waiting right. for them to take over so that they can get started on stuff because the, the current people in those jobs are basically lame ducks. They're supposed to go on to other things. And, you know, you don't want to do a lot of stuff that's going to, you're going to, you don't want to leave a giant inbox for your successor. Right. Um, and, and, you know, there are people who are waiting to change commands and start getting their executive officers moving and to, you know, do all the things that you do when you take over either um, a command or a program or some, you know, office or installation or military base. And Tuberville, for, for whatever reason now, has decided to hold that all up. And as you pointed out, he has cycled through yeah. a bunch of reasons Basically, just to say that he can do it. And this last one, you know, if if he had done it, the, the business about abortion, I mean, abortion is always the go-to. Right. I'm, I, um, as one of my friends on the right pointed out, you know, I'm very cynical about a lot of the pro-life movement. But okay, if he says, I don't like this policy on abortion that the military has, I want guarantees that we will talk about it or that there will be some kind of legislative discussion, fine. Um, but... He, Cycling through to the point where you're saying, um, I don't like the military's attempt to screen out white supremacists. And as Tuberville said, I think it was, um, he said, I call them Americans. Well, there's a lot of people I call Americans that I don't think ought to be in the U.S. military or hold positions of trust or confidence 
in the yeah. United States. There's a lot of Americans I, I, in prison. I mean, I just <laughs> there's a lot of Americans I, in prison. I can't right? believe he said it out loud, but. Right. You know, it's nice to know that after all these years, I'm, I can still be shocked by the behavior of people on the right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, and you and I are super cynical people this way. <laughs> Between all years, all of our years in national security and politics, it's hard to be an optimist at this point. And, and that's exactly it is, I mean, I, I call, I call Tommy, you know, veteran adjacent. He's always talking about his daddy. His daddy was in World War II. Did you know that my, there's more generals today than my daddy had when he was in the World War II? It's like the same old bullshit. Um, and, and he might, just to, just to make a point here, he might. He might have a point. There right. may be too many flag and general officers, right. but holding up all of these promotions, you're not, it's not like the DOD is going to walk in tomorrow and say, okay, fine. We're going to cut the number of generals in half. Yeah, I don't need that, fifth that's fleet. That's the thing where you say, okay, you fleet. have our attention. <laughs> right. Please come over to the Pentagon. We'll, you know, I mean, that's, yeah. this is how Congress and the Pentagon, you know, iron out their differences because yep. that's the nature of legislative executive and civil military relations. But the problem in this case is that it he seems to be just dialing through reasons. Right. Um, ju- again, and I think with the, this, this particular part of the Republican base, this performative, um, assholery, this performative, um, I, I didn't make up that phrase. Someone had a great, that was a great phrase about performative assholery, but also let's be more genteel about it and say this performative obstructionism right. is what the base wants. They're not interested in governing. No, that's the thing. I mean, if Tupperville want to hold all this up and say, here's the list of things I want, or here's things I want the sec def to talk to me about, or here's you know, the legislative relief, but it's, but there isn't any of that. And there isn't, you don't get any of that with, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene. You don't get any of it with, uh, you know, any of the other MAGA folks. I, I, my question to the, to the people, and I've been saying this since 2016, when Trump had unified Republican government, I said, okay, great. You guys have won. Now, what do you want? And the answer is basically always just to own the libs, right. um, you know, to make people like you mad, um, to tear it all down. But, you know, okay, I get it. You want to make, but what is it you, you know, and you'd get answers like, well, I want to build the wall. Right. Okay. You don't really, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't really, it's not, okay, fine. You know, there's here, here's some money to build a wall. What do you want to do next? And the answer is just never there. And I think this is one of those cases. Right. What is it you want? Well, I don't know. I just want to hold up. I just want to make Lloyd Austin. I want to make Joe Biden and Lloyd Austin sweat. Right. Because that's what people at home want to see. And and instead of saying, you know, I, I'm trying to make America better and make the Defense Department better and get answers about why we promote general officers and so on. I, there just isn't any of that there that I can see. No, because he's making it up as he goes, um, which is what he does. And that's what he's always doing. He did in the campaign the same thing. It's, it's, and that's what so many of them are doing, right? Like you said, it's performative bullshit, um, which is what all you have. But also, I don't, I don't think he really, I mean, I, you know, I've said this about many of these, uh, you know, Marshall Blackburn and right. Tuberville and others. I, I don't, I think they genuinely don't even understand the issues they're, they're, they're raising. I think it's that's just, you know, wow, I'm a senator. I guess I'll do stuff. Yeah. And that's um, the key. But I, 
I, I just don't sense any any substance there. Well, it plays into the whole thing they've been doing lately. All the generals are woke. I was looking at some of the comments on an article about this, and uh, which I, I know I, it's crazy to do that, but I do it. And you see a lot of the right-wingers, the Twitter people, the denizens, the blue checks of Twitter today, talking about how he's right on. There are, these generals are all woke anyway. These probably got all under 60 is probably our wokest. You know, they're million wokest. It's like, any of these, fuck, I mean, none my that God, makes sense, you know, you know? I spent 25 years working with senior officers. This just I mean it's just delusional. I know these, all, these generals are all woke. Oh, wow. I've got a whole lot of them who are like that actually. But I, I had a boss um, trying to drag me to his um, like, oh what was it? The promise keepers. Remember the promise keeper guys in the nineties, you know, the, the 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 which is now Josh Hawley's big masculinity conference. It's the same vert, same stuff, different time, you know. And uh, I had a general trying to get me to go to these, you know, Christian conferences with him. Like, no, sir, I'm but I think I'm on duty. Yeah. <laughs> it's you know? part of the you know, America doesn't, that whole MAGA movement thing of America doesn't belong to us anymore, that these right. generals, you know, that they have this, I mean, even if it's not true, they have to believe it as part of justifying their sense that they live in a divided country. Even if the country's not nearly as divided as they think it is, they have to, they have to create that. And they have to say, well, all these generals are woke. That's why the government is my enemy. Well, right. generals and admirals aren't whether you know, I put, listen, anybody who's ever worked in the DOD, Fred, as you know, kind of plenty of criticisms of admirals and generals. Yes. There are plenty of perfectly reasonable criticisms about bureaucracy and, yeah. you know, institutional timidity and short-sightedness and all that stuff. But this, this is just kind of creating a, um, an alternate reality right. that then justifies your sense that you are a part of a beleaguered minority somehow. I like and, that. Um, it's, uh, it doesn't, it's bad for the, as you pointed out, you know, one of the earliest never Trump m movements began among national security Republicans. Yep. We did. Exactly. We, yeah, we were that. the, we were the ones who sounded those first alarms that yep. this is really dangerous for the country yep. in a dangerous world. And, you know, holding up 200 senior appointments, um, is pretty destructive stuff. It is. And it's, it's a direct, it's direct line from that, right? It's direct line. It's funny that letter, one of the letters, I signed a letter with a bunch of NATSEC people uh, after the grab by the P tape came out. And uh, the funny thing about that letter, I love I still laugh. I keep it today because they, they put, you know, these letters, you remember, they, they put the names, they put the text and the names, right? But on this one, since there was like 53 of us, there was 50 names on page one, right? It was general, 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 you know, assistant secretary. And then on page two was lieutenant colonel, lieutenant colonel, lieutenant colonel. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so important. I made page two. <laughs> Just three names. But I laughed. I kept it. I was like, I got to frame this someday. So this is this is how important I have people. I, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting lieutenant too, Colonel Weldon, you know. A lot of these, a lot of these folks, uh, um, I think the national security people were the most serious about it. Yeah. I, I, I think um, a, a lot of the other folks who claim to care about stuff like that, like Lindsey Graham, who was right. Just a, the the target of a brutal expose by Will Saladin. I think everybody yeah. ought to read because um, it's just so insightful. Um, but uh, in the, in the bulwark, it's a little yep. kind of ebook about Lindsey Graham. Um, I think they, they took that position because it was cost free. They said, he's going to lose anyway. Right. Uh, and I think now we're seeing, you know, the, the real danger of what happens when a, when this kind of group really does get their hands on the lever of power and just grinds up all the gears, partly because they don't know what they're doing and partly, you know, like malicious children just to see everybody else, the look of dismay on everybody else's faces. 
I, it's it, really it's really disturbing to, to see this. And it shows, I think, that, you know, Trump, while Trump is the main threat to, to our democracy, there's a lot of other Trump friendly folks. We were talking before the show. Tuberville said, like, after his after the jury verdict in New York, Tuberville's like, and now I want to vote for him twice. Yeah. Um, you know, is that insanity. He said, right? That was the quote, I think. Yeah, right? it was. Like, it I was. want to vote for him even more now. Or yeah, yeah, and Ro- Rubio said, oh, the whole thing's a joke. The jury's a joke. Right, like, Rubio. Yeah, yeah, freaking lawyer. I mean, it's like my last Republican vote. Oh, I got that's on tape now. Shit. <laughs> yeah, but no, that was my listened, that was my last Republican vote. You know, I, and, he was you know. he was like my my protest vote, Virginia primary, twenty fifteen, and uh, last time I voted for Republican. And the last Republican vote, I, I'll, I'll I'll go you one better. Oh God! In Rhode Island, um, back in twenty sixteen, our 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 um, primary came so late that the only way to add. Um, primary votes against Trump it, where we were was to vote for Ted Cruz. Oh, oh, Tom. Yeah, well, all right. Well, great show, everybody. Well, if it causes, you know, fight yeah. at the convention, but yeah. yeah. So God, I remember that. That's right. I came down to that. Well, I'd like to circle back to something we were talking about a minute ago, though, right? The, I, what I heard was an underlying tone of narcissism and all that, right? The narcissist that goes into uh, Tommy Tuberville, the narcissist that goes into uh, Marsha Blackburn and her hair, uh, <laughs> yeah, because there's two people there, her and her hair. And and you wrote a piece of, uh, not too long ago uh, about like the, the Tessiera, um, uh, you know, spy thing, right? And mm-hmm. is your, is your, and you, you talked about snow and, and, and how narcissism underlies snow in reality, even reality winner, Jack here, as is your style, you question the nobility of any of the leakers and, and you get to the consistent issue that the, each of them had a sense of entitlement and self-importance. And, you know, I, but I can honestly say I didn't know that Edward Snowden had dubbed himself Wolf King Awesome Fox. So that was really informative. <laughs> There's a group um, of us who, you know, Wolf from King the very awesome beginning, Fox. when we were became when the Snowden thing broke to this day, you know, some friends and I, we, whenever we talk about Snowden, it's always uh, about, <laughs> um, we just call him Wolf King Awesome Wolf King Fox, awesome Fox. Um, gonna... because it, it's so evocative and perfect of what he thought he was doing. And it, you know, it, 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 it's, at some point before and that was before his theft of the documents. I mean, you really, you really, I, I, I bring the piece up cause it's been a few weeks, but it really made me think you're, you're right. How do we in the piece for folks? And uh, by the way, we'll put in our sub stack. If you're wondering, uh, Matt will put the sub stack address up. I always put all these, all these articles I refer to in the sub stack. I'll get them to you. Having said that, what I really enjoyed about you, you brought up such a great point, right? How do we stop narcissism? How do we stop I can I, I look at your bank account all day, right? I mean, I, I had top secret clearance for most of my career in the military till the very end, 20, in, in, in 2010. Um, you know, you had one as an instructor at the War College, which is one of the issues you talked about is like, why the hell do I have to have one, right? Um, but you're right. How do we fight just these, a, a kid who wants to blow his buddies away on his Discord? You know, it's, 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 and what is the answer to that? I, I'd love to hear your thoughts and for people to read the article. Um, right. The clearance yeah. proceed, I, I, I've thought since the very beginning, um, my first clearance, I'm, I mean, you know, now I'm going to, now I'm feeling old and decrepit, <laughs> but I think my first clearance was 37 years ago. Jesus. And I, for 30 something years, I've always thought the clearance process is kind of messed up. Right. Because it it's, it's a very 1950s, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, um, um, clearance procedure that looks for moral turpitude as defined by um, drug and alcohol use, you know, money problems. Now I'm not, and I'm not discounting those. I mean, if you have a drug problem or a alcohol problem or you're broke and you need money, you're vulnerable, Yep. but it, it doesn't, I mean, it seems to me that the, the really astonishing cases 
of betrayal. And look, I know Snowden and Reality Winter, they have their fans, but it, they nonetheless broke the law and caused harm to American national security. Um, and all of them did it for the same reason, because I'm so important. Only I understand. Only I get it about how important this is. Um, and I don't know how you screen for that kind of narcissism. Right. Um, you know, I, I know at some places, like when you get up into the higher echelons of the NSA or CIA, you, you have to talk to shrinks, you know, you have to talk to a psychiatrist. Um, but I think some of it is with a younger generation, just have to look, going to have to look at social media profiles, have to ask them for their passwords for, you know, right. if you want a top secret clearance, you know, this Fred top secret clearance is incredibly intrusive. It's humiliating in a way. I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, yeah. it's, it's a really unpleasant experience to get a top secret clearance. Yes, it is deeply unpleasant. Um, and so, you know, we, I think we just have to add to that unpleasantness to say, and there's some other parts of your life that we're going to have to look at. But the, the, the Jack to share thing, I mean, that's just a huge fail on the part of the investigators because you know, the guy was kicked out of, I mean, he was only 21. He'd, he'd yeah. been kicked out of high school. I'm sorry. You're only, you're doing a look back of four, five years and you're not you finding that? that he was thrown out of high school because right. people thought he was scary. Yeah. Um, I mean, this guy, his, his manifestos and postings yeah. sounded more like a school shooter. Right. You know? Um, so, so somehow they missed that. And again, I think it's, you know, because the, the process just looks for the wrong things at this point. It's, we need a 21st century clearance process for a 21st century um, workforce and, and, you know, military um, body. And I think a lot of that drives it. And so, and, and, and then a topic that else you've written about, but, and then we are missing, the system hasn't addressed for the changes we've seen. The system does not adjust for the influence of the propagandists, the influence of right-wing politics, the influence of either other politics, right? And we're still looking for commies, right? <laughs> you know, and, and, and you don't oh, have to, you know, I, you know, I think it's, it's like, not, yeah. It, it, I mean, we were looking for commies, you know, back in the sixties and the seventies when yeah. communists were, a pro when, and people forget the early 1970s left wingers were bombing public places. Yeah. yeah. Germany. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a joke to ask, have you ever been, um, I, I, when I, when I went for my first clearance, uh, you know, they asked me, I, I, I won't even say what I said, but they said, have you ever been a member of a organization dedicated to violent overthrow of the U.S. government? And I tossed off some kind of, you know, smart ass joke and the investigators kind of looked at me and I was like, oh, right. Um, you know, don't <laughs> don't fuck around with this. this is um, so, you know, asking people, are you a member of an organization dedicated to violent overthrow of the government? That, that's a perfectly legitimate question in 1968, right. in 1975, and in 2023, because there are people applying to, to be members of the military or to get clearances who are, in fact, associated with groups that now have convicted seditionists associated right. with them. Right, right. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if Tommy Tuberville thinks that's, like, mean, but if you've been associated with a group that has advocated for violent sedition then maybe you shouldn't have a top secret clearance. Yeah. And I, or, I or think it's, an you know, might've been commies in 1970, but I think white supremacists, extremist organizations, we, we have to, we have to ask about that. Fun story. Uh, my first top secret clearance, I had just gotten back from desert storm 
and uh, I was an intelligence officer at the time. I was going into intelligence at the time, a job. And uh, I came home from my work one day in the apartment building, and and uh, my neighbor, lieutenant down, uh, we we're all lieutenants, you know how it is, right? the same apartment complex is around Hunter Arm Airfield in Savannah. Anyway, so I come home, park my car, my neighbor's door is open at the time, and he's got some guests in there. So I walk and I said, you son of a bitch, give me a beer. And the person turns around, it's my investigator. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, there goes my clearance. <laughs> you know, That's smart. She, yeah. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, I was a little bit of a smart ass during my, I mean, I was again, shallow cad, you young guy, thought I thought I was the funniest guy in the world. Then a couple of times where, you know, during this very long interview and I hauled off a couple of what I thought were, you know, <laughs> real laugh riot yuck yuck zingers and uh i thought I, I quickly learned like this this person is not amused and you know that they had there are people who would seriously answer those questions you know in a way that would disqualify them and um it was i, I will say it was a growing up experience that i, I think was very important and that uh i needed at the time i think that's part of the process um, right? but you know it's no matter how you do it it's a, it is a, a security clearance is an intrusive and humiliating experience. And I think we have to be less concerned about that and more concerned about asking questions like, you know, are you posting violent, you know, um, anti-American stuff on your Facebook page yeah. and we're going to have to go and, you know, or, or your Instagram or your Twitter account. And we're going okay to go account Russia. It. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, I, we're having a, right. I mean, having a, it's interesting. The guy, the shooter in um, this most recent, of course, we there are so many shooters that we have to be a little more discerning when we talk about them. But the most recent shooter in Texas, um, getting bounced out of the military after three months—that's that's that's um, now you know as a former officer. I mean, to get bounced out and not even finish finish basic—that's a that's a real red flag. And yet, was able to buy guns. Perfectly legal. Yeah, and and it's just it's remarkable. And actually, it's a great place to go to. Um, you know, we just heard that Tucker Carlson's moving his show, I'm doing air quotes, show to Twitter, his show. Um, Which will be broadcast with lasers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he talked for like three minutes. I was like, this is boring. I can't watch this. Um, I, I, I actually do this every now and then with guests who are great writers. You recently called him, quote, emblematic of the entire conservative movement now, and especially the media millionaires who serve as chief propagandists. The conservative world has become a kind of needle skyscraper with a tiny number of wealthy, superbly educated right-wing media and political elites in the penthouses, looking down an expanse of angry Americans whose rage they themselves helped create. That's a great paragraph. Uh, I just can't see him having the audience and grip on the national movement on Twitter. Um, I, I mentioned earlier my, my own little, for example, I have family members in their 80s. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see my family member like getting a yeah. Twitter, a Twitter blue I mean, check that, account. That, to watch. that whole business <laughs> is to radicalize a new generation on Twitter. I mean, right. you know, Tucker's audience. Uh, um, I mean, the average Fox viewer is like 68. Right. Um, I, I, you know, you're right. I don't think grandpa's going to open up his Twitter, you know, get his laptop out and pull up Twitter right. to watch Tucker Carlson. What he will do is talk to the kind of, you know, shit poster douche bro community uh, on, um, on Twitter, but they, he kind of owned them anyway. Right. Um, you know, the crypto dude, um, you know, meme posting Pepe guy. Um, but I don't think that's where Tucker wanted to be. I mean, I, I think this looks a lot like what happened to Bill O'Reilly and Megan Kelly and Glenn Beck, where, you know, once they lost their biggest perch, um, that, you know, that they just never, um, recover it. But it's interesting yeah. that his, 
announcement about it was just full of, I mean, you know, you and I and some of your guests disagreed about the word fascist, but it was full of that kind of Lugan Pressa fascist, you know, kind of, you know, the world is full of liars. And, you know, I mean, it, it was just, it was kind of creepy prep school fascism adjacent weirdness. Um, and I, you know, I, and I, I bring up prep school, not in the class sense, but that almost kind of smirky, I know what I'm saying because I'm smart enough to know what I'm saying kind of affect that Carlson has. Right. And that was the point I was trying to make in that piece you just quoted. The, the, the people that are like trying to agitate millions of people, whether it's through Fox or Instagram or Twitter, um, they, they just don't ever have to live with those consequences. You know, they don't care about that. It keeps them on TV. It keeps them rich. It keeps them famous. Um, and then they go off to their compound on Long Island or their penthouse in Manhattan or their, you know, country retreat in Maine. And um, they don't have to live with the damage that they're doing to the American system of government. Right. And I think, you know, Carlson, for Carlson, I think this is just a huge ego crash after, I mean, it's the third network that's canned him. Yeah, hat trick. It's a hat. I mean, that's a, he's he's done the cable hat trick. The other thing I found interesting about about Carlson it was the Axios report. I don't know if you saw it yesterday, where someone, again, anonymous source is telling Axios, but that um, ditching Carlson was actually part of the Dominion settlement. Hmm. Interesting. Which I guess Carlson now is going to claim he's going to sue because that you know, the whole complexity of lawsuits there, but um, be interesting to know if that's actually true. I mean, that was, that was reported by another outlet. They claimed to have two people off the record uh, anonymously, but who, who, you know, verified that to them. Um, But that would also make sense about, about Carlson saying, well, if that's the case, I have to get back on video as soon as possible. Right. uh, Because I can't look like I did anything. I mean, very Trumpian can't admit that I've done anything wrong. Right. Um, Never admit a mistake. Never, never backtrack, never compromise. Yep. I mean, and, and that is the, that's the whole system they're under. Right. And, you know, I, I think the last question I'll ask you, because you know, uh, we're getting close is, you know, I, I was kind of reading, I went back, uh, I tried, I actually had this weird optimism study. It's, it's a running joke on the show, Tom, that I actually still am an optimist somehow. Um, and I went back and read the piece you had written just before the 2020 election about how us never Trumpers from the start had stayed in the fight and the price for us have paid. And I remember reading, specifically, it's very rare. I remember, it's funny, I very rarely remember reading specific articles. I mean, honestly, us political hounds, we read constantly. But you wrote that piece. It came out October 30th. And I was literally sitting in Park City, Utah, writing an ad for Mark Hamill, <laughs> right? I convinced Mark Hamill to an ad about counting every vote. And and you said at least never Trumpers had fought. Um and, 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 and at the end, though, you did something that's uncashed for you, too, my friend. And you ended on a somewhat uncashed optimistic note with a quote from John LeCar's fictional British by George Smiley at the end of the Cold War. And you said, never mind. What matters is that a long war is over. What matters is the hope. Now, it's three years later, obviously. Um, a lot of us also predicted after the election that it wouldn't just go back to like normal would just magically appear. Do you still see some hope after, after what we've seen the arc of things we've seen? I mean, I, I know it's funny to read things from three years ago, but I mean, do you, I, I, do you see hope Tom? Brad, I, I find it deeply unfair of you to throw at me things. I actually said <laughs> how rude of me. <laughs> I should have warned you. I actually researched my guests. Uh, you know, I, I, I am the outcome of the election. Well, first of all, let me say about that piece. You know, it's not like we were storming the Bastille or, you know, trying to hold, uh, you know, Calais or something. Yeah. But that, 
what I was trying to say about the number of Trumpers is we didn't fold. We didn't just say, okay, fine. The, we know where the money is. We're, we don't want to get all these death threats. Um, I mean, it's amazing how much vi- the threat of violence has been normalized. Like, you know, that just g- getting death threats is just part of being, you know, a writer or, or an activist about anything about Donald Trump, whether you're writing or if you're making ads or just, you know, organizing, just death threats are now part yeah, of we the We had to get landscape. security. I had to, um, I'd have a security. At one point, I, I had a know, security we didn't, we didn't, it would have been easy for us to just fold up and say, screw, you know, I mean, I, that, at the time I was a tenured professor, I could have just said, fine, screw it. You know, um, I have my job and it's safe and I don't need these constant threats of firing. Cause that's the other thing. And I was a government employee once a week, people demanded that I be fired, and, yep. you know, on charges and whatever. Um, but the other part of it was, yeah, I was hopeful because it was pretty clear Donald Trump was going to lose and that people had finally reached a line and this is the place where I'm concerned because the line I thought we hit in 2020 was a fundamental decency issue. Right. That this person is just too indecent to be among us as a political leader. Now, yep. um, the problem is that after January 6th, after the Carroll verdict, after all of the things that have happened, millions of people still say, you know what? I, if, if this annoys my fellow citizens and, you know, validates me, um, screw it. I'll vote for him again. And I'm, I just somehow thought, I, I, I just was more hopeful that we wouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And yet here we go again. Here we go. You know? And I'm so tired of people saying, well, Joe Biden's old and Joe Biden's lost a step. And I don't like some things Joe Biden did, you know, it, the both sides of this, you know, on the one side, we have a, Democratic president is leading us, you know, I mean, you know, I'm a basically a conservative guy, you know, a a party on the left that's got a lot of ideas that I don't agree with. And, you know, he he's old and says things goes off the rails on occasion being an old, of course, Joe Biden. That's been Joe Biden for 35 years. He was young. Um, He did that. (laughs) I know. I met him in Iraq. We have a sociopathic, seditionist kook. Right. And somehow we're we're. What was it? Was it David Sedaris, I think, who came up with the thing about being on an airplane and saying, um, well, either we have the chicken, uh, you're being offered a meal on an airplane, and it's like either the chicken or this plate of shit with broken glass in it. And the av- the undecided voter is the guy who says, well, tell me, how's the chicken done? <laughs> is, it, is it organic? <laughs> now, how's the chicken prepared? So I, I, I was hopeful in 2020. I'm I'm still hopeful that we've gotten past that, but I'm just until Donald Trump and a lot of these people around him are finally just pushed from our public public life in the name of just decency, mm-hmm. um, then I'm just not going to, I'm not going to be as hopeful as I was three years Perfect place to finish. I, I appreciate that. That's great. It's a great perspective. And, you know, a lot of our reader, a lot of our listeners, and a lot of our uh, our viewers on uh, Midas come from come from more of the left. And and and, and I always enjoy these conversations where we say, hey, here's where we come from. Here's how we got here. People like people like you and I. I mean, the security thing, after I took over the exec director of the Lincoln Project, we actually had a, at one time we had a security team parked up outside my uh, they insisted on having a security team uh, outside some of my colleagues houses. Uh, I had to install cameras and and buy my first new gun I'd bought in a while, you know, so I could have one handy. That's a crazy place to be in America. I've written about how that looked. I, I ended just... up being on, um, you know, like a regular email trail with, because um, people would call the Navy and right. call call our offices. 
and, you know, NCIS and the FBI, you know, yeah. like got to know you. Um, and, but, and I, I guess I, the thing I, I know we're done, but I guess the thing I would say is if you are that insecure about your politics, that you are literally willing to threaten other human beings, um, what does that tell you about yourself, about what you really believe? The other Le Carre quote I always use in that regard is that in another book, John Le Carre's um, Smiley meets his opposite number briefly during an interlude in, in the Far East. And he says, uh, that's when I knew he could be beaten because he's a fanatic and a fanatic is always hiding a secret doubt. And I think that that's part of what you're seeing in this outpouring of just this performative kind of obstructionism and general nastiness is that I think there are people trying to quell their, you know, when, when Donald Trump is found liable for a sexual assault and you say, well, now I'm going to vote for him even harder. You're not trying to convince other people. You're trying to smother that voice inside yourself that says what a terrible thing I'm saying and what a terribly indecent thing I've embraced. Perfect. So where can people find you? They want to check in with you. Um, I'm on Twitter at Radio Free Tom, all one word. And of course, um, um, come and join us at The Atlantic, where I am the lead writer for The Daily. Um, Sign up for The Daily and um, sign up for The Atlantic. We just won. uh, Let me just brag on my magazine. We just won a, um, my colleague, Caitlin Dickerson, just won a Pulitzer for her story about um, family separation in the Trump administration. And um, Liz Bruning and Zoshi Gonzalez were both uh, nominated for Pulitzer. So, um, you know, c- come and come and join us at the Atlantic and, and, um, get some good reading done. I'm a paid subscriber. So I love it. Yeah. I love good. I pay for good journalism. That's how it is with people. That's the way it is. Well, thanks so much, Tom. Again, I really appreciate your time, man. And, uh, it's been a great chat. So I look forward to bat- batting heads online soon, my friend. <laughs> thanks Fred. Cheers. Man, what a great conversation. <laughs> you know, it's a classic story of this podcast. I had five more questions we never got to. Um, and I just love that you guys are so engaged. I do read your comments. Uh, one of the lovely things about being on the Minus Touch Network is I love seeing you guys and your conversations and your notes and your comments. I, if you, I'm trying to read them all. Sometimes it gets to 3,000. It's hard. But you'll notice I do engage. And so if you if you leave a, a like and a share and a comment and absolutely subscribe both to the Minus Touch Network, which is an amazing and fast-growing YouTube network. In addition, we do hot takes all week. I've done several hot takes for them that are a lot of fun. There's a little bit more humor in those. Uh, as well as our own YouTube channel, the On Democracy Pod. Uh, if you want to find all of our back episodes that you've never seen before, they're, they're all on there as well as, of course, all your favorite audio platforms, Apple, Spotify, you know, wherever you find us. Um, more and more people are downloading the podcast for their walks and their runs. And that's just, it's just been a great, great, uh, great year, great month. Uh, we premiere every Friday night at 11 p.m. Eastern on the Moz Touch Network. And if you subscribe to our Substack, um, you'll get my thoughts. It's been a little quiet this week. I'm actually moving. <laughs> but uh, but you've got some Substack. I post my thoughts. I post the, my perspectives. Uh, you'll get the podcast a full day early um, it, through Substack. So go ahead and subscribe. It's free, possibly a little bit. I'd uh, love to get paid, but uh, we are, we're doing that too. As always, you can find me uh, at FP Wellman on Twitter. And my official Instagram is FP Wellman Official and all the different places you can find us. Tell your friends about the show. As always, we're still sponsored by our friends and the owners of Half Coast Studios, where we shoot the show every week. Vi Media. Vi Media is a digital marketing partner for anyone. They are growing fast. They're nationwide, based right here in St. Louis, Missouri, the heartland of the United States, where I am based. That's why I offer you perspectives from the right. Uh, we are their partner, and they are proven growth for 
anybody they work with. Again, it's vie.media, vie.media on the internet. I hope you'll check them out on the web. In the meantime, thank you so much for being part of this amazing growing community because of y'all who are staying up on Friday night or watching through the weekend and telling your friends about the work we're doing. This is very important. Um, having our conversations with people, sometimes we don't even agree with all of them, uh, is so important to taking back our country and moving forward. So thanks for joining us. See you next week on Democracy with FP Wellman.